This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanen, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is the final episode of season three. This is episode 105 of Fearless Rebel Radio, and I am interviewing Sanera Geisler, writer, editor, book publicist, and badass fat acceptance advocate about fat acceptance and how to deal with everyday fat phobia and diet culture. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this show at summerinandin.com forward slash 105. Before we begin, I have three quick announcements. First, this is the final episode of season three of this podcast. That means that it will be going on hiatus for a few weeks so I can breathe and record new episodes for season four. I already have some Rockstar guests lined up, and I'm really excited for you to hear these interviews. So, season four is going to kick off with a bang very soon. If you haven't already done so, please head to iTunes to leave a review for this podcast, like this awesome review from Tisha12423. I love Summer. I've been listening from the beginning and love her message and presentation. Her guests and interviews are always fun and very helpful. She also provides so much additional information through her website and special programs. Thank you so much, Tisha. Leaving a review helps others to find this show, which helps to help people ditch diet culture. So go to iTunes, search for Fearless Rebel Radio, click ratings and reviews, and click to leave it a review or give it a rating. Lastly, don't forget to get the free 10-day body confidence makeover by going to summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Today's guest is Sanera Geisler. Sanera is a writer, editor, book publicist, and fierce defender of the selfie. Her writing on fat, fashion, and culture has appeared in The Establishment, Sad Magazine, G's Magazine, Shameless Magazine, I hope I said that right, and in anthologies including Lessons from the Fatosphere, Quit Dieting and Declare a Truce with Your Body, and Reader's Choice. She performed stories and stand-up for live audiences at Versus Festival, Rain City Chronicles, Novelty Act, Say What, Readings of Deliciously Rotten Writing, The Anxiety Show, and Teen Angst Karaoke. Her personal style, hashtag fatchin, has been featured in Bust Magazine and The Guardian. I think you're going to love this interview. Sonera is hilarious and lively and has some really good advice on how to exist in a world that is still so preoccupied with dieting and body size. Welcome to the show, Sonera. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you here today. Why don't we start with you telling everyone a little bit about how you came to discover radical fat acceptance? I would say it's it's kind of one of those things where, you know, it's like gears that click into place. And then when you try to kind of backwards reconstruct it, it's a little bit more difficult. But for me, it kind of, I think I was lucky in that I encountered it in my early 20s. Really, when I was doing my undergraduate degree in university, I was I was taking a lot of English and women's studies courses that sort of exposed me to feminist thinking 
And at the same time, that was kind of when I'm sure you're aware of like the fat internet mm-hmm. uh, and Kate Harding and Marianne Kirby's book, they refer to it as the fatosphere. I don't think any fat people have ever actually called the, the fat part of the internet that I usually just call it the fat internet, but I kind of stumbled upon a community called Fat Chinista. It was a live journal community, so I'm going to date myself a little bit. But at the time, that was kind of the first political fat community I'd ever seen online. And the point of that community was that it was people sharing clothing resources, but it had a very strict policy of like, you don't insult other people's bodies. We don't talk about weight loss here. This is a fat, positive community, and we're political, and we really like clothes, and we want shit to fit, was kind of the point of that community. And it was really the first time I had ever seen a fat femme. And I was in other live journal communities, so there's a a one that I think is still so relevant to this day, Feminist Rage, where people would post feminist rants. And there was a rant in that community, sort of about the time that I'm in university and I'm thinking about feminism, But I'm realizing that there's this one big injustice, which is this corporeal injustice that I feel kind of weird about my body. And I'm told over and over, like, your brain is great and you're so smart. But I got there was something very dissonant about the body just being this weird vessel for my brain, right, that I should kind of hate my body, but my brain was okay. And somebody in feminist rage around the time that I found Fashionista was or maybe that pointed me to that community was just like, I'm really tired of this thing where I have to use my sort of like ability to write and my ability to be an articulate person. And that's what's beautiful about me. They were like, I actually think that my fat body is beautiful too. And I'm tired of this thing where I'm supposed to always be apologizing for it. And I'm beautiful in spite of it. And it was just like a very, it was stuff that I had been thinking, but it was very revolutionary for me to just see somebody say that. Yeah. To say like, yeah, just like a, a poster, like a commenter in this forum was like, actually, you know what, like, this is garbage. Like, why am I participating in this duality? I don't agree with it. My body carries my brain around my brain is great so like why do why do I think my body's garbage it doesn't make sense and then in fashionista I saw these women who were literally embodying sort of like proud fatness and like for the very first time I saw someone who was a fat femme she was bigger than me she was taller than me and she was kind of wearing the exact sort of like clothing so like a very I remember it very vividly it was a green like a lime green floral dress and she had like beautiful curly hair and it was kind of like my heart caught in my throat and I just couldn't it was something it was an image of a woman that I thought was totally unavailable to me unless I looked a certain way but there she was right proving me wrong like I just had never known that that sort of femme embodiment could exist because because so much of that idea of femininity is delicate and thin and you know, that very, very narrow standard of beauty. It's also very white. It's also, you know, there's so many, the sort of, the goalposts of beauty are very narrow and they're always moving. So I, you know, and we chase that, right? So it was like, that for me was kind of the first coming into thinking like, hey, maybe fat is okay. And look at all these other fat women who have just built this community and are, are kind of coming up with something different, coming up with this totally different sort of way of thinking where they're not, if they are on diets, they're not talking about it. And that was really radical to me because I come from a fat family and pretty much my whole sort of young to my life when I was in my early 20s, like everyone in my family was on diets and they it was a given that you were on a diet. People talked about the latest diet. So it was just very much 
it was so radical and so different from anything I'd had represented to me up until that point. And it still is so radical, I think, to for the majority of individuals to even, you know, hear and see that. <laughs> it's like, what? It's okay to be okay with yourself? Like, that's, it's just, it remains a radical thing, even though body positivity is growing. I hope it gets to a point where it no longer is radical. Yeah, self-love is is such a radical act, right? Because we have this like billion dollar industry that's just designed to tell us and women especially like you are flawed and here are all the things that you can buy to fix that to maybe be somewhat acceptable to look at, right? Like so it's it's a huge thing to try to adjust that thinking and I think once you do, it's like learning to read. And it's like, I don't know if you can remember a time before you could re- actually read the symbols that are words, but it's hard to remember that, right? Once mm-hmm. you kind of cross that threshold of adjusting some of that thinking, I think it's hard to reconstruct for people, right? Mm-hmm. Like how, how you took those steps. But I think, I think there are a few sort of like concrete things I can point to in that journey. Yeah. What were some of the challenges that you overcame or things that helped you the most? Some of it is uh, our great tips that sort of Lindy West talks about in her book, but truly, uh, and I guess it's illustrated in my story, is like seeing the possibility of of what other fat, how other fat people just like live their lives. So just the actual looking at actual images of fat women in particular, or just different bodied women participating in style. So around that time too, there was also a Flickr community called Wardrobe Remix. Mm-hmm. And that community was specifically about women all around the world, women of all sort of like sizes and religions and creeds and races and genders participated in that community. And they would just, it was just daily outfit community. So it was like a head to toe shot of what you were wearing. And maybe there was like a little bit of like, you know, text about your day. And I think as soon as I kind of stopped consuming fashion magazines, which present a very narrow constructed image of what an ideal woman is, what a stylish person is. As soon as I started looking into these internet sources for ideas of beauty, I think that really shifted my paradigm of what is beautiful. And studies do show that, that the more that we expose ourselves to things we're uncomfortable with or afraid of, the more we're actually able to, in our kind of brains, become neutral towards it. And then we can actually see beauty within it, right? So mm-hmm. that's a proven thing. And so if you're avoiding kind of images of people and things you're afraid of, and you're only kind of consuming a certain type of fashion magazine that shows you a certain type, type of model over and over, of course, you will feel that you look weird, right? Yeah. Because you're not... You're not you're not seeing the diverse, incredible range of what bodies can look like. Right. And I think we're so conditioned to just always be looking around thinking, how do I measure up? And so if you're constantly, you know, approaching things through that lens, and there's all of these image, unrealistic images that represent, you know, like less than 5% of what people actually look like, then it's going to be really detrimental to your, you know, to your the way that you feel about yourself, like in the in the long term. And that's, and it's interesting how you kind of brought up reading, because that's probably around the time that like diet culture starts to infiltrate a lot of our minds, too. So it's almost like the length of time that we've been reading is probably the length of time that we've been living, like been exposed to diet culture. So I was just I don't that's, that's kind of what I was thinking when you were using the metaphor of reading. 
Yeah, because people will just be like, how did you, you know, Lindy West has that great joke where she's like, when when thin people ask fat people, like, how do you how did you find your confidence? She's like, don't ask fat people like that. Like you're asking a shark how it learned to walk on land and run out an orange Julius. Like people are so (laughs) shocked. Like they're like, really, you're just a fat person and you go out in the world without your hair shirt of shame. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, and it. Because a lot of people, I think, are admired in that diet stuff. And it's kind of like if someone it's a bit threatening, right? Like if if someone else and you're if you and a group of people that you're close to are spending a lot of time restricting the things you eat and working yourself out, like working out past the point of enjoyment, like you're punishing your body. And that's something you're invested in. I think it is very jarring to see somebody who does not embody what you consider beautiful and healthy and all those other things, just like living life. Mm -hmm. You're like, well, I'm, I'm destroying myself. Why don't you have to? Mm -hmm. Right. It's part of, I think the hostility that that cultivates in people because diet culture itself is antagonistic. It pretends that it's there to help you, but it's actually there to make you feel small so that you buy stuff. Right. Like, but I think that it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky thing, and I have kind of empathy for people who are still on the like terrible on the terrible amusement part roller coaster of dieting. Because when you're in it, it's hard to let go of some of that thinking. Yeah, it's really hard. Well, you have no you have no basis for it either, because generally it's just been your mode of operation from a very young age for most people, at least, you know, not everyone, fortunately, but you know, when it's that's the only thing that you know, like you don't even know a life without it. So that uncertainty creates so much fear. It does. And it's like, it's painful to for me to look back on how dieting me thought because I have like empathy for my past self, obviously. But like, I definitely remember thinking things like in my high school cafeteria, like, Oh, look at these chumps eating sandwiches. I have evolved past eating. All I need to do is like drink my bottle of water and have a mandarin orange every two days or like whatever. (laughs) Weird, weird. Like I'll just have a rice cake for the week and I'm good. But it's like, yeah, I thought very unhealthy, upsetting things. And I definitely looked down on people for what I would consider normal competent eating. Yes. So it's like, it's jarring, right? You're just like, oh, and I was terrifically boring. That's the other thing. It's like, I almost hate talking about it in some ways, because I just feel like people who are like, it's kind of sad, like when a friend has to like a friend opts to go on a cleanse. Like I'm not talking about when people find out they're allergic or people who have to do like nutrition related like elimination diets because they're sick or whatever but when people just decide to like cut out fun foods it's very sad it's almost like a death and then they become really boring and all they talk about is the stuff that they've cut out of their life right because yeah it occupies all your thinking when you're starving and when you're sort of like actually actively withholding something from yourself that you enjoy. It's like all you can talk about. Yes, I was I I was I was I was like that. I'm actually surprised all my friends stuck with me all these years, (laughs) to be honest. Like, like, how are you guys? How do you guys stick around for 15 years of that? (laughs) Talk about with mandarin oranges and rice cakes. What a rich and lively time. Yeah, like it's not it's not a good look. It's not a good look, right? You didn't love my lectures on gluten? Like, come on, guys <laughs> I was the life of the party <laughs> yeah because it, it becomes evangelical right like it's, yes. it's almost oh, like was, being recruited yeah. into a cult right and you don't sort of see it until you're outside of it and it's it is a tricky thing to navigate because I do sort of try to you know I think I when I was younger I was a lot more militant and if like and that there's nothing wrong with that but I kind of think 
as a person, I've changed and my strategies around this have changed. But it used to be like if someone posted on any social media about like starting a cleanse or like any kind of like slightly weight negative thing, I would immediately like slide into their DMs and be like, here's a bunch of studies. Like I'd be really, really intense. And now I'm kind of like, well, body autonomy means that people are going to make choices for their bodies that I wouldn't make for mine. Yes. And I have, I have to accept that. But at the same time, I'm allowed in my life to model what can happen if you just like accept yourself and go on living your life. Like I want to be there presenting that as an option. Like there is this option where you choose not to hate yourself and then you see what happens. Right. So it's a little bit, yeah, I used to be sort of like the person hitting everybody with the book and being like, look at this study. But I find that maybe, you know, that does not necessarily endear me to people. Yes. Well, I think people like it, you know, um, uh, diet culture really possesses people and it's, it's you, people have to be ready and ready to hear that there's an alternative. And I think that we can plant seeds. And I think one of the best ways to do that is by role modeling and just, you know, eating stuff and not talking about it, like, you know, just because it, because you're out to eat. And, (laughs) and I know, yeah, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, you probably have a pet peeve. One of my pet peeves is when people talk about foods as dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it's usually like foods that are like a cookie or like a piece of pizza. And I'm just like, okay, unless you are allergic to the nuts in this cookie, it is not dangerous. Like, unless the hot dog you're eating is actually a lit stick of dynamite that's about to like <laughs> blow up in your face, it's not actually a dangerous food. So there's like little things like that that I'll. If someone's like, oh, you brought in like, I don't know, a tray of some delicious treat, dangerous, I'll be like, is it like I kind of like there's little things in language that I do poke at just because I think like we make this culture, the sort of like language we speak, the media we make, the conversations we have, like that actually does have the power to sort of change the way we look at things. Absolutely. So I kind of so I kind of pick my battles. Like, do you have a sort of like. Do you have one of those, like a kind of a thing that you always sort of like, you can't help yourself. You're like, this is something I'm going to address because it's, it's everywhere, but it's like such a simple thing that I can yeah. kind of flip. <laughs> I, I, I will just riff with what, what, what I'm at on the spot, but you know, it's like, for me, I think I've been so fortunate that I'm not around it so much anymore at all. It, I'm rarely in instances where people are talking about food in a weird way or, or dieting because I just don't work in an office anymore. And I think that's where I was exposed to it so much. And, and my other friends aren't really, have never really been into dieting. So I'm really lucky. I want to live in, in your time. world, Summer. I feel it's like you've pretty, created, a- <laughs> <laughs> created a really good bubble for myself. Yeah, it's like a dream sort of like space you've made. <laughs> It's like a, it's like you know you like a utopia type island or something. It sounds great. <laughs> yes, yes. But I mean, my general response is like, well, I'll eat it. <laughs> like I live dangerously. Like I <laughs> give give it to me, and like just just role model not giving a shit about it. That's kind of what I do. I once my one of my very famous young acts of resistance. It's not. I mean, famous insofar as I wrote a blog post about it on the like fat internet that you know twenty people read. I don't know. But people still bring it up is that I once in a like in the university cafeteria, like after Christmas holidays, after the winter holiday, shouldn't just say Christmas, but like people come back and everybody's like on their diets, right? Because January traditionally 
is the time when all of the sort of like it's new resolution time, all of the various weight loss, Jenny Craig's, all those things. They're kind of running a million TV ads. There's tons of fat people crying on TV. Uh, and there was just like a group of women sitting around this like shared table and they were talking about like really food negative conversations, talking about all their resolutions. And I had like, I had ordered fries and gravy and for some reason they ran out of like the smaller gravy containers. So I was given my gravy in like what would normally be a soup bowl. Yeah, And then I kind of just looked at these women and I was like, mm, and I drank like my gravy very theatrically <laughs> because, because I just couldn't handle it. Like I was like, oh, we just came back from like holiday break. And instead of people talking about like the wonderful time they spent with their family or chosen family or just like I played a bunch of first person shooters and it was great. People were actually like talking about sort of their mistakes that they made but those mistakes as far as I could tell like they weren't actually mistakes they were just talking about like oh I shared in a delightful meal with my family you know what I mean but it was so negative and so like I have to now go back to my six almonds yes per meal or whatever yeah yes. so anyways, yeah uh, my approach is similar to yours when people are like I'm gonna be worried about food I just drink a bowl of gravy yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just have a flask of gravy that just <laughs> is just there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I do. I just pack a flask of gravy. Uh, I always say like something January, maybe, maybe it's all the time, but I always feel it the most in January. And I'm always like, if there's some way for me to just be like on the corner in like a hot tub full of poutine, just like handing out copies of Kate Harding's essay, The Fantasy of Being Thin, like that's what I would like to do on January 2nd. <laughs> yes, <Like>. yes. <laughs> and, a piece of performance art. I think it was like, that's, I, I kind of fantasize about that a little bit. Oh, I will film that for you. <laughs> Just know that. I haven't really worked out like how safe and a good idea it would be for me to be like in a hot tub of poutine. But like, you know, I, I that's why there's engineers is to like help us realize dreams like this. Right? Yeah, dreams yeah. can come true. Hashtag dream big. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think that that would be brilliant. But I also think for me, because I have like an online presence, I feel like most of the people that know me are probably even scared to talk about that stuff around me <laughs> for the most part. Because <laughs> they're just they, they know my stance loud and clear. <laughs> so in that way, they kind of know you're not the person to bring that to and I've and it's funny, like the fat spaces I've been in over the years online. And as that's evolved, like early days, it was very much like community spaces like live journal where it wasn't necessarily one person's blog where you were commenting on in the comment section and that evolved and blogs like big fat blog and shapely prose and the rotund and a bunch of those sort of like sort of the forefront of kind of like fat blogging. It's interesting how it sort of like shifted and how certain people became kind of voices right of the of the movement. And then I kind of feel like in the more open community spaces, sometimes people would feel more freedom as step because there wasn't like one voice shaping the conversation. Yeah. So that's when you would kind of have more people be like, but actually, mm -hmm. I love shapewear or whatever, right? And then people would have to be like, no, we don't. Yes. We don't like ads for Spanx and this community. <laughs> like, it's not part of what we're doing. So yeah. 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 So clearly in your life, people know not to sort of get up on you about that. But I kind of like, it's one of those things where sometimes I feel like if I have the wherewithal, I will make myself available to people who are kind of questioning or who are still in that, like, on that terrible roller coaster of dieting and body image stuff. Because I also think like we talk about it, like we're on the other side of it a little, but 
bodies, the sort of the sort of truth of bodies is that they are always changing. Yes. So I think sometimes it can be easier to participate in body positivity or fat radical fat acceptance if your body is in a place where you're quite healthy or you're just generally in a good space with your mental health. But then like, who knows, you're feeling great. And all of a sudden you get a terrible rash and then it becomes more difficult, right, to accept your body. So I kind of feel like we're all necessarily works in progress in that way. Like you and I don't know, we could we could get very sick or we could develop like a really awkward skin condition or any other kind of things that make that harder. Yes. You know, you have to adjust to what a new normal is. And it's so yeah, I kind of feel like it's always important to sort of not hold myself up as like, I'm past it. You know, like I've totally got it all worked out. Like I've got some things worked out. And I've definitely evolved in my thinking. And I definitely don't think that diets work or that it's a good idea and a good way to live my life. But I also have like bad days. And I also sometimes have photos I don't care for. Like, you know, it's not as if I see every photo of me and I'm like, put this in every gallery and museum in the, you know what I mean? Like we all have like days where we're not feeling as great. Yes. And I think it's good to honor that too and make space for that. Right. Well, self-love is fluid. It's not like a, it's not a destination and it's not something that just is ever present. I think it's just something that we have to, that I prefer compassion like a, you know, just cause compassion makes space for, for the humanity of the process, which is just that we have a balance of negative and positive experiences and emotions and like self doubt is an ever present thing. I mean, we live in a culture where, you know, we're, we're constantly told to be something we're not. So whether it's about our bodies or not, it's about, you know, who we should be as, as a woman in general, that's always going to play into us. So I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that any of us are ever immune and like always just going to get to a point where we're like, I'm good. Like I'm good. And I'll never feel bad about myself again. It's just of not going to happen. And we want to evolve and make mistakes, right? Like I kind of find the idea of there's like a bit of a thing where sometimes people will like go back through someone's old blog entries and be like, in 2006, you made this really insensitive comment and you made this like terrible analogy that's racist. And it's like, I am very grateful that a lot of the stuff that I thought in my early days of being educated was not documented online, because I definitely had some views now that I think would make me cringe, right? Yes. So there absolutely, I think, like, isn't living isn't the point of living? Well, A, we're all going to die at the end of it. So there's no there's no actual like, you eat enough kale, and then it unlocks eternal life, for one. And like, second thing, I hope, we all want to kind of evolve and grow as people like that's kind of the adventure of life, right? So there has to be sort of room for, you know, you want to, I want to kind of leave things, if I can, I want to leave things sort of better off, or at least things in my life better off than how I found them. Yes. So that means, you know, you're going to fail forward a little bit, and you're going to make some mistakes. And you're maybe going to have a few situations and viewpoints that you regret. But not sort of calcifying into an unmoving, sort of firm, negative kind of person, I think. Like, I think that's kind of what what being really conservative is, isn't it? Just like being presented with evidence that something is wrong and harmful and being like, no. Yes. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. <laughs> I disagree, even though you've shown me a ton of evidence otherwise. So yeah, I try to keep an open mind about that, but be firm on the things that I know to be empirically true, yes. right? Yes. I'm curious to know how important was it for you to reclaim the word fat? 
I think it was quite important because I think in my family, it was sort of, I talk about it as like the sort of Damocles, right? Because it was just sort of like from a very, very young age, I remember even on my birthday being like, served a birthday cake, but my family being like, but don't enjoy that birthday cake because maybe you'll get fat, right? Like it's, it's, it's so, so some very early on, it was like this thing that was like a sentence, you know, like a death, like a weird, it's not a death sentence, but it was treated like that. Mm -hmm. So for me, just actually being like, no, this is actually just a description of what I look like. It's not shorthand for moral decrepitude or laziness or a lack of intelligence. Like, I think that was very powerful for me. So I prefer, I prefer it. Like, I don't love a ton of the, like, I can remember being young and people, what were the, some of the euphemisms like big BBW and stuff like that. Yes. I kind of, it's fine. And I know some people find empowerment in that or people, I just remember like, fr- like Kathy fridge magnet magnets, right. Whereas like, I'm not fat. I'm just fluffy. Like I kind of, there's a whole sort of weird, like, and I think at that time, that was like the subversive narrative, right? Like Kathy, like trying on a bathing suit and saying, ack, like that was as much as we had to sort of be like, oh, we all feel weird about our bodies. Like that was as much bonding as we had yes. around that topic. Do you know what I mean? It was pretty rudimentary. So it's kind of like now using the word in this, it, it is a political word. And I think also like it just wasn't a word that was acknowledged in a lot of feminist thinking either. Like a lot of the early feminist people I was reading, like they, I wouldn't say that all of them were actively fat shaming, but it wasn't even kind of seen as a feminist issue. The earliest reading in university that I could find about like othered bodies was an essay collection. It's a book called Freakery by Rosemary Garland Thompson. And like, that was the closest I could find to like feminist thinking on fat in like 2001 let's say Mm -hmm. was like I had to read a book that was also talking about like plastic surgeries little people who in the book it used outdated terminology to talk about that like it was actually a book about like sideshows is it kind of like fetishizing bodies and how we treat these bodies and like how there used to be a thing where people would like do dwarf bowling like that was a real thing that people did in sideshows so it was about the way that like other bodies had been policed and degraded and disrespected and like that that was the first sort of place that I found critical writing about fat bodies and it was not like it was not nested in feminist thought right so it was like it has been very important and I think a lot of this sort of feminist thinking around fat and fat is a feminist issue all of those movements like that's still pretty new that's not like that's you know the last 20 years that that thinking has really kind of started to branch out and people try to be more intersectional with it, all of that, right? But in the early days, it was kind of like feminism. I always, you know, it's that thing where you always kind of suspect that you can kind of sense something's off. I felt like that about a lot of the early feminist stuff I read. I I would read it and I would think, this is about women that look a certain way. This writing doesn't include me. Like Mm. I just had a sense of it. And then it wasn't until I kind of found some of this other writing that I was like, oh, yeah, a bunch of this writing actually others my body, actually like frames my body as trauma or frames my body and frames my body as only deserving respect if it's seen that way. And I kind of have a big problem with that where I'm like, you know, all people have trauma. Trauma doesn't have one physical way that it looks. Mm -hmm. And second of all, like, I think it's a big problem if we only have empathy for people if if we see them as like traumatic objects. Right. Yes. Yes. My my body's not going to resolve into some sort of catharsis. Like this is 
my body. And so I have a, I had a real problem with the idea that other women would read some of the writing about this topic. And like, to be fair, like people write really personal stories about their fat bodies. And some people talk about fat through a lens of trauma, because that's true to them. Right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like Roxane Gay's hunger, right? Yeah, yeah. which is something is something I haven't fully brought myself to read yet, because I know it's going to be a, tr- a tricky one for me. And I really actually dislike a lot of the women's magazine coverage around it. Because I thought it wasn't respectful to Roxanne Gay. I thought it was being really framed as like, well, Roxanne Gay says weight loss is great for her, right? It was like, I don't really think that's what Roxanne Gay is saying. And also, she's telling a really specific to her narrative of her body, about a racialized body. So like, I, you know, I'm a white woman, I'm not gonna sort of say that I can, I'm the right person to criticize Roxanne Gay's way of being in the world. I would never say that. I think she's a brilliant thinker and a scholar of our time. And I would rank her right up there with like the Roger Eberts of the world in terms of like shaping our culture and shaping thought. But that's actually why it bothered me. Cause I was like, she's such a prevalent voice on this topic that I really hate that these magazines are misconstruing her and kind of saying, Oh, well, people are fat because of trauma. It's like, yes, that's, Oh, that's not what Roxanne Gay is saying at all. And because of their own doing, like, because it was like food was a coping mechanism where it just kind of feeds that narrative that it's within your control, like that you did it to yourself. And that's, that's really harmful. Like, it's like, just let fat people exist, period. Like, respectfully, period. (laughs) Of course. Like, I can believe that there are people who are fat by their own hand, people who are more thin by their own hand, people who are fat and thin for different reasons. But at the end of the day, all those people are people who deserve basic dignity and respect. Like, there's not... That's not up for grabs, right? And so that that was interesting to me to, to look at the cultural conversation around that memoir. But I also think that like moving towards nuance in our think and our mainstream thinking about that is an incredible journey because like only a few years ago was like the war on obesity. It was like every paper had that headline, right? Like America actively decided that there was a war going on and the, and that the source of the evil in America was fat people, right? So the fact that that is not our headlines every day the way it was in, say, like, 2008, 2009, like, to me, that is progress. Like, now, it's not perfect, but we have, like, diet companies, we have, sorry, not diet companies, we have, like, general companies like Dove and, uh, like, Cheerios, I think, has an ad where there's, like, where they talk about, like, it's about a little girl and they're like, she'll never diet. Like the subtext of the ad is of course, like if you eat Cheerios, you'll be life like an elf, I guess. I don't, I don't know what that ad's really trying to say, but as soon as mainstream advertisers are like, there's money to be made from self love. Yes. Does show us a shift, a really big shift in popular thinking. Mm -hmm. So I feel hopeful about that. But I also know that like, advertising is never a nuance advertising is like it is nuanced in that it's designed to sell you stuff without making you think you're buying right right but like it's not going to have a a complicated conversation the way we are yes about this like fine shifting things of personal experience and cultural context and all of that Yes, totally um I want to shift gears a bit because I want to get to some responses that you perhaps use when you've encountered fat phobia, so or advice to people who have. So for example, if someone is around a parent that is making comments on food or their body, what kind of suggestions do you have? So yours, it's like someone else who is 
like in your, is it someone you're close to or is it like a stranger? Let's do both. Okay. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's trickier when it's a stranger. If it's a friend, that's the kind of thing where I might just sort of be like, I might shift the gears of the conversation and just be like, tell me about why you enjoy eating this. I enjoy eating this too. Like I would kind of like, just be like, let's have a normal conversation where we're not vilifying food. But I would also sort of pull that person aside and be like, hey, like, did you have a parent who policed your eating? How did that make you feel? Mm-hmm. And usually conversations that I've had with people in my life, caregivers, like I actually have a lot of caregivers come forward to me of children, parents, like aunts, uncles, other guardians who sort of say like, I'm worried that some of my own internalized body stuff, I shame my child. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to me, it's like the only way to really break that cycle is to have empathy for yourself, first of all, and realize that like, the things that you are most unforgiving of in yourself, you're going to be most unforgiving of in other people, especially your child, right? So you have to then be like, what would I have wanted my, you know, my parent to say, and it's just like, probably you would have wanted them to say nothing. And let you enjoy a meal and present like multiple delicious options for you. Because as soon as as something becomes like, I think a lot of kids in just my experience become weird about food because that's modeled for them. Yes, Because someone in their life makes a food a bad food or makes it forbidden. And it's like, it's very interesting because my stepbrothers grew up in a house that always had candy around. And I remember going to visit them in Germany and it was just like, they just had like big bowls of candy out all the time. And I remember just being like feeling really stressed out by it, actually being like, I'm going to eat all this candy. I'm freaked out. And they just, they were very indifferent. Like they would eat it sometimes Sometimes they wouldn't want it. And then I just remember my stepmom being like, yep, I don't I don't think you should be weird about treats. And I feel fine about having them around. It's just not a big deal here. And that was very much their life. Yes. Like they enjoyed it, but it was not this weird forbidden item. And like my mom talks about she would have friends come over when we were kids. And that like I lived in such a kind of diet culture household. And I don't say this to like indict my mother like she has, she's different now too, right? She just didn't know this was modeled for her. This was a whole cycle. It's a whole cyclical thing. But we would like be like weird feral animals. And we would just like take her friend would bring over like a bag of chips and we would demolish it in like 0.2 seconds. Yes. Because it was like so forbidden to us. Yes. Right? I had the same yeah. experience. Yes. Yeah. 100%. We're just, yeah. We wouldn't even really enjoy it. We'd be just like feral, like, ah, like throwing <laughs> chips in our pockets and running around like it was, and it was like, yeah, that, that comes from that thing being treated like treated like this forbidden, uncommon item. And like kids very much when they're young, and I worked in childcare in my other life, I worked in childcare for like a decade, they're testing boundaries, Mm -hmm. and they're learning rules. And so if you're modeling for them that like, you know, sometimes on special occasions, like we have desserts, and we get to enjoy it. It's like, that's what they take away from that. But if it's kind of like, you are you're doing a thing you you kind of are like they will learn about gender stuff they will learn about that so it's like if you're telling your child who happens to be thinner than the other child that they can't have certain things like that's when they learn that behavior right absolutely but if, but if something where you're just like all of us get to enjoy this every day this is like the normal stuff we have but then sometimes we have cake or whatever like everyone's got to do their own kind of version of that but I would kind of I think a lot of times it's sort of unconscious in people and it's a learned behavior and they just want to protect their child from harm. Mm -hmm. Like they don't want 
their people to be keeping judgment on what their child eats or says or talks about eating at home, right? Like I can remember a neighbor, I'm going on too long, but like she said that her daughter came home from school and another kid had said, well, at their house, they eat dairy, like with scorn. Yes. And she was this kid says that we eat dairy and she was like very upset about it, right? Because like, these kids were like, goth, like we have nut milk at our house or whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it was like, that's messed up. Like, how about we all not do that, right? How about we not speak about food with scorn? How about we just like speak about food as food? And then, you know, we won't we won't create a culture among our six-year-olds where they're yes. excluding us people based on whether or not they have the right type of nut milk at home. Like, it's very bizarre. So if it's a friend, I will pull them aside and we will, like, have a chat. Yes. If it's a stranger... That's tougher. I don't know if I would always like interrupt, but I think I would try to sort of like, I might try to just talk loudly. I might do the thing where I'd be like, isn't it great when we can just all enjoy food without making it weird? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's what I would do. I would just make a loud, weird statement that would like interrupt it. Maybe try to make eye contact with that kid and be like, happy birthday or whatever, and then move it along. Because sometimes that helps too. Just like, the realization that, oh, I'm like, I'm actually, I'm doing this and I'm in a restaurant and like people can hear and this might be upsetting. Yes. My child that I'm with. Yeah. What do you think? Like, do you have a tactic for that? I, well, if there's like a, like a stranger talking about whether or not they should eat something, uh, like usually, I, well, I mean, it depends if I'm, if, if, for example, it's like, like a Starbucks line, I'll be like, ooh, yeah, like that looks really good. Get it. Like, just eat it if you want to eat it. Like, it's fine. And then, you know, if it's, yeah, I mean, if it's a friend or something, I, I for sure intervene in terms of like, you know, I totally understand how you feel. I used to feel that way, too. There's another way. And I can tell you about it if you want to know, because I've been there. And I think that, you know, relating to people on that empathetic level is really important. Yeah, I think sometimes just being presented with an alternative is huge. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of us are brought up or are raised in a sort of certain vacuum around that stuff. Like, I can remember, it's like those confusing, the confusing messages around food where I think like Cameron Mannheim was once like, said something along the lines of like, bulimics are the perfect citizens, mm. because they like, they consume as much as they're told to in, in like capitalism she's talking about, right? It's like they consume as much as they're told to and then they purge it yeah. so they can like gain the idol body. So I can just remember my family, German, generous, very hospitable, really into making, you know, every family dinner is going to have like 14 different dishes. But at the same time, you're at this like family dinner and people are monitoring how big each other's plates are. Mm -hmm. So it's like there's all this stuff on offer. But then there's the, like, who went for seconds. Yeah. Working track. Yeah. So there's a lot of conflicted messaging about food. It runs really deep. It's part of family structures. It's part of social structures. So I just think it's very loaded. But there are ways to sort of make it enjoyable. And I also feel like uh, like people are always kind of like, but what if I eat for comfort? And it's like, that's actually super normal. Yes. That's what ways that we use food, right, is to celebrate 
to seek comfort. Like food is, it's a bit weird actually that we've kind of in the times that we live in, that we've and in the culture that we live in here in like North America, that we've actually come to a weird place where we're sort of like feeling guilty for enjoying food. It's like, well, yes, at the very basic level, food is fuel, but we've built an entire social and familial culture around it. Yes. So it's a bit weird to feel bad about that. Yes. Since that's like why we live and enjoy life, right? Yes. And you go abroad and you see other cultures and they celebrate like food is that celebration. And yeah, I feel I feel like it's North America's worse about food than other than just in my observation, and I could be totally wrong. And I'm not well traveled at all. So I'm probably dead wrong. But I feel like North American, there's more of that weirdness in our culture than than when you go abroad. And it really is about like, a food as celebration and comfort and bringing people together and love. And I, I used to think like that whole food is love thing was a really negative thing. But I think it can actually be a positive thing if there's no weirdness around it. If it is just like, here's this beautiful thing we that I made, like, let's all enjoy this together. Because I, I grew up in where there was like such a dichotomy because I had that and then also like heavily steeped in diet culture, those two things coexisting. So it was like very weird for me existing at the same time. But anyways, I think, yeah, I think other cultures really celebrate it. I think it should be celebrated. And I think the sort of like, where do we intervene question is tough. Like definitely, if people are going to be rude to me that I don't know when I'm out just living my life, like waiting for the bus, or I used to, uh, like, I worked out with a trainer for a while. She was amazing. She was a super like weight neutral, incredible trainer here in Vancouver. And people would find it helpful to yell stuff at me while I was like working out in a public park or whatever. And they'd be like, you know, you got to also watch your diet when they're like walking by. (laughs) So how would you respond to that? Completely unsolicited. And I, I feel like a lot of times it would like take me a second to be like, oh, this person was literally, you know, I feel like my kind of tendency might be to be a bit mean. But I mean, if you want to keep it cool, you could just be like, remember that that's none of your business, like back to that person, right? Like it isn't their business. You don't need their tips. The the assumption always is that like you're a fat person in public and you're participating in like a vegetable or an athletic activity, you must be on a weight loss journey. Like people love to read that narrative to you. So I think I like to either just be like, you're rude. Or sometimes like if someone really says something awful and I overhear it, like one time a table of women at a sushi restaurant actually were loudly talking about how they thought I was disgusting. This was when I first moved here and it was very jarring for me because I was like waiting for a friend to come and I was sitting by myself and this group of women kept like, and they were like affluent, nice looking ladies, probably in their 40s. And they just kind of kept side glancing to me and just being like, isn't it gross? Isn't it gross the way some people just can't take care of themselves? And just like, they wanted me to know. And I, I actually, in that case, I leaned over and I said, you know, you better all keep it down before everyone in this restaurant hears what assholes you are. Yeah. And they were like, oh, oh, they were so taken aback. But I was like, in that case, like, they're jerks. Yeah, they're jerks. And they need to think about it. And they need to remember that I'm a human being like, I can hear them. I'm sitting there. Like, it's just like basic common decency thing, right? Like, it's like, yeah, but it's this weird thing of like, 
something about fat, people want to tell themselves that they're looking out for you or something. But if you're actually looking out for a person, you would care about their mental health as well as their physical health, which you can't tell by looking at someone. I always say that like, if I have an ax in my head and it's squirting blood, then I guess you could tell that I have a head wound. So that you could diagnose by looking at me, but you can't diagnose anything else by looking at me. Yes. Yes. And also you don't get to, and health is not a moral imperative. Mm -hmm. Like a healthy person is not worth more than someone who's not fitting whatever narrow definition of health you have, right? So it's just, I think there's a lot of work to be done there around this idea where certain people think they're freedom fighters for insulting others in public. Yes. It's like, you're not a freedom fighter. If you cared about health, you would care about mental health and you would understand that deriding and insulting people is actually never going to make anyone feel better. Yeah. What's your what what is your suggestion? So for example, I always hear from people who say, okay, every time I go home, my mom makes comments about my body. Or, you know, my parents make comments about food, like do you have any good comebacks or suggestions for people who experience that with their families? I mean, families are tough, right? Because everybody has their own individual dynamic with their family. But I think with my family, I just, uh, I wasn't particularly like clever or anything. I was just like, if you love me and you really care about me, like this is off the table. The Mm -hmm. same way, I'm not going to talk about the time you had like a Crohn's attack and farted so loud that the people in the opposite room banged the door because they thought you fired a gun or whatever. Like, it's kind of like, look, we all have things that we don't talk about over dinner. So when we're enjoying each other's company, so it's like, you're not going to talk about this. And I'm not going to talk about like, I don't know that. Yeah, like whatever sort of thing that you're like, you might need to, I think sometimes it's like, you almost need to make an analogy. Like, I don't know, every person has a family member who had has like something that makes them uncomfortable or something that like, they don't want to talk about. So I think if you can kind of liken it to that, right, if you can Mm -hmm. be like, we don't talk about this thing, we understand that it's and so you can just be like, I, you know, I this is how I am. This is who I am. And if you cannot talk about like if you cannot treat me with respect when I'm here and doing this like I just I won't be here doing this and I think for some people it does mean not spending time with their family but for other people who have loving families who maybe just are behind the times on this you know they're not on the right side of history you can kind of set those boundaries and if your family you know, really cares about you, as I suspect many of us are lucky to have, not all of us do, but some of us do, it's like they will make adjustments in that way. But I think for a lot of people, they feel like they can't even interrupt that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's like, that's a different sort of step is being able to just be like, you don't talk about me that way. Like you're, you know, and that's, that's tough. That's a tough piece of the, of the puzzle. But I think I'm trying to remember how this came to a came to a head with my family. And I think it was actually we were at a restaurant and uncle said something to me that I found super offensive. And I left like I left the dinner and everyone was like, oh, she's so dramatic. She made a scene. But it actually worked like he felt bad. We had a conversation about it after and it didn't happen again. That's good. Yeah. So sometimes it's like you all, that's the other thing I would say is like you, it's hard when it's in public and you're like at a bus stop and a car full of teens yells at you or whatever. Like you don't really have a lot of control over that. But like, if it is people in your life, like, you know, one of the 
here's a, here's a sort of thing for you. It's like one of the quickest ways to lose weight in your life is to actually cut terrible people from your life. Yes. Like there you go. Pro it's tip. A whole, it's a whole bunch of thing gone. So like if there are people in your life who like they're only interested in fixing you in that very specific way that you actually don't need fixing, like it's like you might not have to cut those ties. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. But I do have early friendships from like my 20s when I was first kind of really finding feminist thought and finding fat positive thought. I had people who just like, they were like, well, if you're not gonna, if I don't see that you're actively committed to like shrinking yourself, well, then I, that's too, that's upsetting to me. And I can't be around you. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like, yes. then, like, you're telling me who you are right now. When people show you who they really are, like, you do have to believe them. And you do have to make those decisions. So like, I think it, I wouldn't say like immediately scorch earth and cut people from your life. But if you're going through a tough, a tough thing around dieting and food and all of that, I absolutely think you have the right to protect those boundaries. So for me, like on social media, if there are people in my feed, even people who I care about, people who I like, who are just like being weird about that stuff, I'll hide their posts. Yes. Like, oh, I will definitely protect my boundaries around that. Mm Because like, they don't, you know, they don't have to get my permission to do that stuff. But at the same time, I don't owe them my approval. Yeah. And that's a really tough thing for people, I think, because we are so used to getting so much praise for stuff in some ways that we don't have control over. Like people talk about getting sick and having body changes and people like praising them yes. because they lost weight and how messed up that is. And it's like, I think we just need to work on what we value. And then because I know a lot of people who maybe don't have conventional sort of heteronormative milestones, right? So they they don't necessarily get married. They don't necessarily have a baby. And then people, the only thing people want to celebrate in their lives is like their body changes or whatever. And they're like, what about the fact that I published a book? (laughs) You know, so it's like, there are many accomplishments to value in life. And I just think, you know, there's a, there's a way to when you see people to just be like, how are you doing where, where you don't have to comment on the size of their body. Right. But yes. I'm so used to it that that takes a bit of work, but it's just practice. You have to be intentional with it. But I, I refuse to comment people, compliment people on their appearance. Like sometimes I will the odd time. Like if I kind of, if I know them, you know, I'll be like, I really like your outfit, but I never comment on somebody's body. Like I just, that I won't do it. And if they've lost weight, I'll still say, I'll be like, you always, uh, you always look good. You know, like if they're, you know, clearly kind of looking for that, like they're acknowledging like, oh, I lost this weight. Like, I feel really good. I'll be like, you always, or like, I feel like I look so much better or whatever. I'll just be like, you always look good. Like, I love you no matter what, like you're always the same to me. But it, yeah, I mean, it's so knee jerk to just want to compliment somebody on their body or their appearance. It is like a real, you have to retrain your brain. Yeah. And it's like talking to little girls, right? Like people there, there was a lot of kind of like conversation around the feminist sort of writing on the internet and people talking about like, when you meet a little girl, maybe the first thing you say to her shouldn't be like how pretty she is. Like Mm -hmm. maybe you could like ask her about her interests, you know? And so it's like, yeah, absolutely. We can do that. And I know like, I love clothes. I love hair. I do have the inclination when I see someone looking really turnt to be like, you look amazing. But I can do that in a way that 
just like acknowledges effort and acknowledges like intentional presentation that doesn't sort of assume that that's the only thing that matters. Right. Correct. It's harder with a stranger who you don't know that well, but like when you're meeting, when you're meeting someone's child for the first time, like that makes an impression. Kids want, and I mean many, not all kids, but a lot of kids want nothing more than to be like seen as people by adults. Yes. So it's like what you say to them and what you say to young kids makes a, makes a really big difference. So, you know, yeah, like ask them about their interests. And then I, I was just going to say, when I worked in childcare, most of, I, I actually, most of my coworkers happened to be like women of size, happened to be fatter people. And the kids a lot of times would like ask us about it, right? Because it's like their kids, they hear different stuff. And it would be like, I once had a kid be like, you know, my mom wouldn't really be friends with you. And I was like, well, okay, like, why is that? And she was like, well, it's because you're fat. And she doesn't, she doesn't think that's good. And I was like, well, what do you think about me? And she was like, well, I think you're, I love you kind of thing. And she wouldn't, I was like, okay, I was like, okay, then. So, you know, your mom thinks that that's too bad. But do you think if like, she knew me like you do, she would, she would think I was cool. And she's like, yeah, I do think that I'm like, okay. Cause it's like, I can't, you know, tell her like your mom's the worst. That's not my role, but I can sort of push a kid to be like, well, you know me, we hang out. You want to give me hugs and like, you can tell that I'm not gross. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's like, Mm -hmm. they can tell, Yeah, but it's, they're dealing, they're coping with that information, right? They're kind of like, someone has told me this thing is bad. Yes. But I have a, I don't understand that that way. Yes. Because this is, yeah, at the same time that someone, and then it, then it becomes that thing of like the straw sort of fat person, right? Not a real person. This, yes. this negative idea of it. And then as soon as there's a real person, people are rushing to be like, well, you're not one of those fat, you know, like, I mean, you're I don't different. think Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no, I, I am fat. I am one of, I am like this. And when you talk about people that way, when you sort of dismiss an entire person, entire group of people based on their body type and feel that those people are less deserving, like you are talking about me mm-hmm. and that is a problem and we need to take a look at that. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know if I gave you the best examples of staircase with there, but I think it's, uh, I think it's complicated, but I think knowing firmly where you stand on things is helpful too. Yes. Like, you know, uh, working that out for yourself, like thinking about like, well, what is the best outcome of this, of these situations? And what do I believe? Cause then in that moment you do have something to say, or you simply like sometimes idiots yell stuff at you and then you just the best thing you can do is go about living your life <laughs> you know ignore I mean? yeah ignore and move on yes yes it's like yeah they yelled this crap at me and then I just carried on being amazing like that's sort of also my my take on it yeah we're not all you don't have to be an asshole whisperer I forget who said that if it was like a Brene Brown quote it's just like you're not a jackass whisperer but we have to wrap we have to wrap things up here but I have a really quick question like are you still rocking the toddler grandma style I am. Yeah. I am. I think it evolves like over over time. But yeah, I, I and I think that it is more than like a, a defined style with clear parameters. It has a few parameters. It's more about just not letting these weird rules of fashion, often rules that are kind of made by magazines and the male gaze and the sort of like sexist not taking of women seriously. It's more kind of just like pushing back against those ideas and thinking about what do I actually want to wear and what do I actually like mm-hmm. versus yeah. what, yeah, what has 
some guru that I don't even that doesn't even really affect my day to day life says I should wear to be serious or whatever, right? That was the first piece that I read of yours. And I thought it was so good. <laughs> I just remember thinking it was it's as there's that quote that you have in it where it's like, boys, this isn't about you. <laughs> That piece caused a lot of like internet speculation about my life that I wasn't expecting. Like nothing upsets the internet more than like writing a piece like that and being like, I don't care what men think than for a bunch of men to line up and be like, we're pretty sure you're a forever virgin. Like I got a lot of weird oh. like stuff where I was like, that's so strange. Cause like this nowhere in that piece am I like, I am anti-sexuality, but a lot of people took it to mean like I'm very prudish. That's so Okay, yeah. So hilarious. uh, Yeah, well, that's the whole problem, right? It's like there there in and of itself is the issue is that it's like, well, if she's not here for us, then she must not have any kind of sexual interests or (laughs) like she's devoid of sexuality if she's not if she's not here for us. Like that's the whole problem. Yeah. And it's just like in that piece, I don't specifically reference like the people I've dated or the relationships I've had. So yeah, it's just assumed that I'm like some sort of monk. I don't know. It was very funny and weird. I think my favorite response to that piece was someone being like, ugh, just one of those queers who does whatever she wants. I'm like, that's a great motto, actually. Yeah, like, like put that on a t-shirt for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, internet detractor, for that beautiful Twitter bio. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like um oh recently i don't know if you follow jess baker she posted on instagram she made these business cards for herself and she put like a one of the amazon two-star reviews of her book on it and it's a quote that's just like this is such a filthy book or like jess has such a filthy mouth or something <laughs> like it's a <laughs> criticism but she just <laughs> puts it on the business card and it's it's i thought it was just so brilliant so i feel like it's the same thing like take take that and just own it <laughs> like yeah yeah. (laughs) accurate (laughs) well yeah it shows you you've pushed some sort of boundary right like the fact that there was friends were telling me that there were like reddit subgroups talking about that post I was like oh my like I didn't think that this was gonna hit this deep of a nerve but like you'd be surprised what just like living your life can do yes right yes yeah (laughs) well I'll link it in the show notes because it's so good and yeah, I feel like a lot of people have seen it, but I'll link it there. Everyone should check it out because it's just, it's your style. It's awesome, though. <laughs> I, I love making, meeting other people who are like, there was a couple people who wrote me and were like, I see myself as a goth grandpa. And I was like, well, you know what? That's amazing. Like, I feel like our, that's compatible. Like, that's sort of what I'm what I'm talking about here. Yeah. So. I live the toddler grandma lifestyle. I don't have the style, but I live the lifestyle. And then I go to bed at like 9 p.m. And I'm like, yeah, I respected <laughs> that when you were like, look, I have a toddler grandma bedtime. And I was like, you know what? That, that just makes sense to me. Like, I'm never more envious than when people when I like sometimes have threads being like, how are you taking care of yourself this week? Like, what's going on? And people are like, I make sure I sleep 10 to 12 hours every night. I'm like, that is incredible. Like, give this person a medal. Oh, like, I, I can't do that. I, I, <laughs> but I go to bed early and I like, it's just, that's just my clock. But I think I'm still living on East Coast time because I'm, even though I moved here three years ago, but <laughs> it's just like, that's those, just those three I hours will really mess you up though. The I don't know what it is about the, like the three hour between the, 
the Toronto, yeah, the Ontario, BC thing, but it is, it's legit. Like it's weird. I go to the East coast every year. It's not really East coast, I guess like central Canada, but it like, it does mess you up. Like I'm more messed up from that three hour time difference than I am from like when I've gone overseas. Like I don't get it, but it's so weird. Yeah. Cool. Well, we got to wrap things up here. Where can people find more of you? Where I'm hanging out these days is mostly like Twitter and Instagram. So I'm Sonera G in both those places. Yeah, I'll link it. Yeah. And that's kind of if I write something somewhere or if I'm performing or doing an event, like that's how you'll find out about what I'm up to. And we have our events on Tuesday, which is the day that this goes live. So if you're listening to this right now, tonight, if you're in Vancouver, you should be there. It's at the Vancouver Public Library. We're going to be on a panel. Myself, Sonera, Vivian McMaster, and Louise Green. And uh, we're going to be talking about all things to do with embracing the body you have and rejecting diet culture. It's going to be awesome. Yes, 6.30 p.m. Central Branch. Be there. Public Library. (laughs) It's free. It's going to be great. All right. Thank you so much. Oh, I was going to say I was looking through your Twitter feed and you like retweeted this article about a kid who had a like lawyer, like attorney, (laughs) injury attorney themed um, birthday party. Yeah. I sent that to my husband because I was like, we're going to do this for you because he's obsessed with injury attorney commercials. Like he just thinks they're the funniest thing ever. They are super funny, but yeah, that kid, that that one was delightful. But also, a few people in my mentions were like, "I can't believe he didn't even attend that child's party." And I was like, "Look, guys, he was busy getting people maximum compensation for damages." Like, like injury attorney, he can't just go to every child's birthday party. So good, that was brilliant. That made my day. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. You're you're awesome, and it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Rock on. All right. I really loved talking to Sonera. That was awesome. You can find the links mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 105. Don't forget to leave the podcast a review. And I will be back with new episodes in a few weeks. Until then, rock on. Rock on.